Hello, and welcome to Accepted, Secrets of New York City School Admissions with Lena Adams, author of the ebook Getting Into New York City Kindergarten. I'm Victoria Chapman, and I'll be helping to guide this conversation. Hello, Alina. Hello, Vicki. Today, we're going to talk about gifted and talented programs. Previously, we talked about private school. Previously, we talked about public school. Now, when we're talking about gifted and talented, um, when we talked about private schools, we also talked about Hunter College Elementary. They have a gifted program. They are a gifted they school. They are a gifted school. They're a gifted school that's not under the DOE. So even though you don't need to pay tuition for Hunter College Elementary, it is not technically a public school because they don't have to follow the public school's curriculum and they don't have to follow the public school's whims. Okay, so speak to them about them as a gifted program. Is there is there anything... What, what is gifted and talented programs? Well, when we're talking about Hunter College Elementary, it's a lab school under Hunter College. So they're able to come up with their own programming and they're able to choose their own students. When we're talking about gifted and talented in the public schools, we're talking about programs, some of which are standalone, such as citywide schools or a few district gifted schools, most of which are programs within a general education public school. Okay. Um, we talked a little bit about magnet schools before. Are they considered magnet schools? I mean, some people they might are, think... No. Uh, gifted and talented schools and magnet schools are different things. Gifted and talented schools are schools where the exact same curriculum that's taught in the general ed schools is also taught. In the citywide schools, they are accelerated by one year, which means if your child attends a citywide gifted school, such as Anderson on the Upper West Side, Nest Plus M downtown, TAG, which is in Harlem, or Brooklyn School of Inquiry, which is obviously in Brooklyn, and a Queens school, that means that they are a year accelerated. It means that in kindergarten, they're doing the standard first grade curriculum. In first grade, they're doing the standard second grade curriculum. If your child goes to a district gifted and talented school, they are doing the exact same curriculum, except that it is enriched. What enriched means is really anyone's guess because there isn't a gifted and talented curriculum and it means that every teacher is kind of making it up as they go along. So you have some teachers who are absolutely brilliant at enriching a lesson. Let's say, for instance, they're reading Charlotte's Web. Well, in a gifted and talented program, maybe the kids will then do a unit on animal husbandry or they'll weave their own webs or they'll visit a farm. That means that it's enriched. But as I said, there is no gifted and talented curriculum. So every teacher is enriching their class in their own way. Okay, so the district schools, G&T is enriched. Citywide, GNT is accelerated. Correct. So, how do you determine which school is best for your child? Um, well, here's the thing. You don't really have much of a choice in the matter. You don't choose the school. The school chooses you. This is how you apply to a New York City public gifted and talented program. It's October which means that you can get a request for testing form. In my book, you can click a link and you will find the request for testing form. This is a form that you fill out merely to get your child tested for gifted and talented. This will usually happen in January and February. For your child to qualify for a gifted school, 
they need to score above the 97th percentile for a citywide school and above the 90th percentile for a district school. Now keep in mind that New York City, some neighborhoods are just overrun with gifted and talented children. Mm. In Manhattan's Upper West Side and Upper East Side, close to 50% of the children score in the top 10 percentile. There really is not enough seats to accommodate them all. In fact, about 1,000 children in the city qualify for a citywide school. In the five citywide schools, there's only about 300 seats. So here's what happens. Some children do get into a citywide program. What happens is all the 99s, all the children who score in the 99th percentile, are randomized, and then they are plucked in order like a lottery, and the first child, they look at what that child's first choice school is, and they slot them in, and then they pluck the second name, and they see what their first choice is until the school is filled, and then they go to second choice and third choice. So while in the abstract, a child who scores above the 97th percentile qualifies for a citywide program, in practice, unless they are a sibling, because siblings have priority, so a sibling with a 97th percentile jumps ahead of a non-sibling with a 99th percentile. Does the sibling have to have taken the test? Absolutely. There's absolutely no way to get around it without having taken the test. So the sibling must take the test and the sibling must score above the 97th percentile. But then once the sibling does that, they are now ahead of the game of any non-sibling who scored in the 99th percentile. So what happens is usually a handful of the children who scored in the 99th percentile get a seat at a citywide school. Then the next set of kids, the ones who didn't get in with the 99th percentile and the 98th percentile, get into the top district gifted and talented schools. Within the district where they live. Within the district where they live. Which now means that even though in theory, if you score above the 90th percentile, you have qualified for a seat in a district gifted and talented Mm -hmm. school, in practice, anything below a 95th percentile has, doesn't have a very good chance of getting into a top gifted and talented school. To be fair, this year I knew of two 93rd percentiles who got into a gifted and talented program, but it was not a particularly desirable program. Can you, can you option to go to a school in another district, or is it still a matter of the citywides are open to everyone. Yes. So if you live in Manhattan and for some reason you would prefer to go to school in Brooklyn, you can put that down. The same goes with Queens. Also, if you live in Queens, you can put down a Manhattan school. As long as it is a citywide, anyone from the city who has qualified numerically can apply. Okay. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about testing when we come back. Welcome back to Accepted Secrets of New York City School Admissions with Alina Adams, author of the ebook Getting into New York City Kindergarten. I'm Victoria Chapman, and we've been talking about gifted and talented education programs. We just left off talking about testing. Now, Alina, you were talking about the percentiles that you need to 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 make a child needs to make to get into a citywide school and then a district school. How is this test scored? 
Well, first of all, as I said, it's October, so you need to fill out your request for testing form. Here's something very important when picking a date for when your child should be tested. This test is normed in three-month bands, which means that a child who is four years up to four years, two months, and 30 days will be compared against all children of that age within the same group. Then a child who is four years and three months will be compared against all children who are four years, five months, and 30 days or however many days that month happens to have. So what you want to do first and foremost is you want to schedule your child's test date at a time when they will be at the older end of a three-month band. Because think about your child. You know what a difference a week or a month can make. If your child is four years old and being measured Mm. against children who are almost four years and three months old, they are going to look weaker in comparison. Now, you don't have a lot of choices for dates because the DOE schedules the dates and you have to sign up for a time and day. But when you're doing that, if you possibly can, try to arrange it so that your child is on the older side of that three-month band. Okay, so they basically, based on the birth date that you give them, group your children accordingly. Yes, and they compare them. That's where the percentiles come from, because your child can have a raw score that's the same as a child who's six months older, but your child will tend to be score higher in the percentile, and that's the only thing that the testing is concerned about. Ah. They're concerned about the percentiles, not the actual raw score. In fact, in the book, you will find a story of a pair of identical twins, one who took a test couple of days before his fourth birthday and the other one who took the exact same test a couple of days after his fourth birthday. The children both got the exact same raw score, but one scored in the 97th percentile and the other one scored in the 93rd. Wow. Okay. Uh, hmm. That's a little disconcerting. Okay, so can you prepare for the test? What does the test entail? The test keeps being changed every few years because the DOE keeps looking for a magic bullet test that cannot be prepped for. The fact is all of these tests can be prepped for and there's many, many companies that do this kind of prepping. The test has children do things like fill out a missing piece of a puzzle or they'll ask them verbal, almost like analogies on the SATs, or they will ask them to point to a picture that they're describing. Here's the thing. These children are four years old, and the way that the process works is a bunch of four-year-old children are sort of herded into a large school room, probably that they've never been to before. Then a total stranger comes and takes the child by the hand and takes them into a room alone without a parent and asks them questions. And as we talked about, the test for Hunter College Elementary is given by a psychologist. The tests for the private schools are usually given by at least psychology students, if not psychologists. And those testers are allowed to sort of circle back. Like if a child looks like he's getting bored answering a question, they can come back around and ask it again. In this case, not only is the test not being given by a psychologist, it's a It's sort of a standard test that can be given by anybody. The child is not allowed to change their mind, or at least the person who's marking the child's answers is not allowed to change their answer. They can only ask the question once. The child cannot ask for the question to be repeated. If the child doesn't understand something, he cannot get any guidance. That's just how the test is administered. If you have a child who thinks it's really, really funny to give the wrong answer, you should break them of that habit because that is not going to serve them well on a gifted and talented test. Wow. Um, hmm. That sounds a little stringent for a four-year-old. <laughs> well, the thing is, 
every child who doesn't qualify as gifted is a child the Department of Ed doesn't have to provide a seat for. So really, what motivation do they have for making sure that the child does their best and shows their true potential on this test? Gotcha. Got it. Got it. Okay. Now, are these tests really a good indicator of a child's ability? These tests are indicative of nothing. In fact, there's a wonderful book called Nurture Shock, where New York City gets a starring role as the absolutely worst gifted and talented system, testing system in the country. We test children at four years old. We never retest them. So on the other hand, if you test 99th percentile at four, fantastic. You can just ride it out. But if you're a late bloomer and you test gifted and talented in a later grade, now, you might um, apply for a seat because you qualify for a seat, but the odds of there being a seat for you if you test gifted in first, second, third, fourth grade are very, very slim. Now, something um, I've noticed in other areas, but um, you mentioned the fact that the tests uh, the children are taking away. Um, How a child separates from you? Is there something to be considered? considered about that? Well, you should have the person who takes your child to the test should be the person they separate from best. So in some cases... Well, in some cases, if your child is more likely to separate from you than your husband, it should be you. On the other hand, if your child is much more likely to casually wave bye-bye to the babysitter and keep going, then it should probably be the sitter who does it. While the child is not judged on how they separate from the parent, if the child does not go into the room to take the test, there's absolutely nothing that can be done. You can't go in with them. You can't even sort of calm them down. Oh, or if they separate and they're upset, that's yeah. not going to be in their The tester interest. will just bring them back out. If the child refuses to answer any question, the tester will just bring them back out to you and the test will be not finished. Okay. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the pros of the Gifted and Talent programs and some of the cons. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Accepted, Secrets of New York City School Admissions. I'm here with Lena Adams. She's author of the ebook Getting Into New York City Kindergarten. I'm Victoria Chapman, and we're talking about the gifted and talented um, programs within the city. Uh, we just left off talking about testing. Now we're going to get into a little bit of the benefits and the drawbacks. So, Alina, what are some of the benefits of the gifted and talented programs? The main difference between a general education classroom and a gifted and talented classroom is the kids who come into gifted and talented come in closer to the same level. The fact is maybe some are reading, maybe some aren't reading, but they are more similar in their okay. abilities. In a general education classroom, you get a much wider range of children. You might get some children who are in kindergarten are already reading chapter books and other ones who literally don't know that those dark squiggles on the page are representational. So when it comes to a teacher, it is much easier to teach children who are sort of at the same level. Not that they all are and then they progress at different levels, but at least you're starting at a more similar line. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, are there any other benefits? Here's the other thing. You are applying your children right now to kindergarten. And I always tell people when you're applying to kindergarten, think about kindergarten, first grade, second grade. Don't worry about the school's college placements or what your child's going to do later on because they might change. But that said, most New Yorkers know about the specialized high schools. Those are Stuyvesant, Bronx Science, Brooklyn Tech, a few of the newer ones. 
In order to get into those high schools, the children need to take a test called the SHSAT. The SHSAT is given in October of a child's eighth grade year. The SHSAT has algebra on it. Most New York City public schools do not start teaching algebra until spring of eighth grade. So no matter how bright and wonderful and smart your child is, it is very unlikely that they're going to master algebra the first time they see it on the SHSAT. So unless your child is in an accelerated program, such as a citywide, in a private school, which usually starts algebra in sixth grade, or they're getting privately tutored, as many students do, it is very unlikely that they're going to score well on the SHSAT. Mm -hmm. Now, the specialized high schools are not the be-all, end-all, and it might not even be something that you're interested in. But be aware that unless your child is in an accelerated classroom, you're going to have to find a way to teach them algebra some other way if you want them to even have a fighting chance on the SHSAT. Okay. So um, what are some of the drawbacks of the Gifted and Talented programs? The drawbacks of the Gifted and Talented program is that some parents think the kids are being pushed too too fast, too far. People complain about a high level of homework. People complain about the high te- um, the high stakes and the pressure. There's also the fact that if you have a child in a gifted program, a second child might not be able to attend if they don't score well, so you may need to send your children to two different schools. There's also periodically in schools that house both a general education program and a gifted and talented program, quite a bit of tension. You can have the two, sort of like siblings in a family, you can have the two programs competing for resources, who does the principal love best, who raises the most money for the PTA. So in some schools, not all of them, but in some schools there's substantial tension between the general ed parents and the gifted and talented. Okay, now your child tests, gets into a G&T school. What if the child's not able to handle the curriculum? If the child is not able to handle the curriculum, and let's take a moment back here to discuss what gifted and talented in America means. The fact is what we call gifted and talented in America would be called perfectly average and a couple of grades ago in Europe and Asia. So believe me, nobody's doing calculus in kindergarten here. There's there's no brilliant, just like when we talked about Hunter College Elementary, that there's no geniuses there. There's just bright, articulate kids of college-educated parents. That's exactly what you're getting in gifted and talented as well. So the odds of your child not being able to handle the work in gifted and talented when children all over the world are doing much, much higher work at that same age are very slim. But let's assume that your child doesn't like the structure or they don't like the speed of the class. You can ask for your child to be sent to a general education program within the same school, but that's contingent on them having the space. So you may have to move your child to a different school and that's contingent on that school having the space. So if you move them to your local zone school, you have to hope that they have a space for them. Um, we talked a little bit about testing. Um, we didn't talk about this. Uh, does pre-K help in prepping a child for in, in, in terms of being able to take the tests for gifted and talented? As of this moment, there's really no evidence of that because some private preschools that will tell you that they are feeder schools will definitely, if not prep the child, be doing the sorts of activities, the sort of puzzles and mazes and um, that sort of thing that's conducive to uh, taking a G&T test. And yes, certainly many private schools will flat out tell you that they get the child ready for the test. But at the moment, UPKA is so new and B hasn't had enough time to, for, 
for any kind of data. Oh, sorry. UPK, universal pre-K, is so new. This is only its second year, so there's really no data whatsoever as to whether it's beneficial to qualifying for a gifted and talented program. Okay. And um, there's another program, Special Music School. Can you talk about that? Yes. The Special Music School is also a citywide school, which means children can apply from all over the city. But it is not a school for which you test via the gifted and talented request for testing form. It is a school for musically gifted children. The school has its own application process, and in fact, their application is already online. So if you're interested in the special music school, make sure you go straight to their website, which you can also get to through my book, and have your child sign up to audition. Basically, the children come in, and they do a little playgroup music class. They test for rhythm, pitch, percussion. About 500 children auditioned for about 18 seats. So it's a very small school, but their test scores are fantastic academically, even outside of music. The children learn how to play either the piano, the violin, or the flute, and they've just added a high school. So if you want to, you could theoretically stay there from kindergarten to 12th grade. Does that include vocal? And not at this time. Okay. Um, well, we've covered a lot of ground, and you. we want to take a question. And that is, what if a child's first language is not English? What language should he or she take the test in, and does that pose any concerns? Well, here's the really interesting thing. While your child can take the GNT test in a language other than English, all the GNT classrooms are in English. So if your child is that much better in a second language, it's questionable how well they'll do in an English classroom. Furthermore, while you can take the public school GNT test in a language other than English, you cannot take the Hunter College Elementary test in any language other than English, and you cannot take the private school's test in any language other than English. So if you want your child to practice taking tests, you're better off having them take all of the tests in English since only the GNT one is the one that's offered in a second language, and once again, all of the classrooms are in English. Okay, you said if you want your child to practice, uh, you said if you want your child to take the test in English, practice. How do they practice? Where do they get this practice? How do they practice? Well, there's two aspects. First of all, there's just the practice effect of taking a test. The fact is taking a test teaches you how to take tests better. So if over the course of a year you have your child taking three different tests, one for Hunter, one for private school, one for Gifted and Talented, odds are whichever one they take last will be the better one simply because they've gotten the hang of testing. The other aspect is there are very many organizations that prep kids for this test. All of the schools and the DOE will say, our test is absolutely unpreppable. All of them are lying because many children get prepped. Not all of them. Don't believe those people who will tell you that all children are getting prepped because they're not. But the fact is, enough of them are, and they're scoring well, to know that these tests can be prepped for. There are websites such as testingmom.com, which offers practice materials you can do at home. There are services like Bright Kids, where your kids can come into the office, and they reproduce the entire environment. As we talked about, it's very scary to be four years old and have a stranger take you into another room and basically make you do tricks. So they can practice that sort of thing. So if you are interested in getting your child prepped, there are all sorts of opportunities. And for those who ask, does prepping work? Let's put it this way. You're an adult. What do you do better at? A task you've never seen before in your life or a task that you've practiced a few times? Well, that's true. 
Okay, you've talked about where to find some um, some of the resources for testing. Tell us about your book, where to find it. Getting into NYC Kindergarten is available on Amazon.com. It's available on Barnes & Noble. And if you go to my website, alinaadams.com, you will see all of my open-to-the-public workshops where I cover everything that we've covered into this podcast and a lot more.